This podcast contains adult content, so if you've got little ears in the car, you may want to turn it down. We also go deep into the emotional, spiritual, and energetic worlds, so please open your hearts and proceed with care. As soon as your outer vestments are in hand, I know you're easy. Even when you're a woo 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 Welcome to the Wooverse. I am one of your hosts. I'm Kira Lee. And I'm Lynette. And we're a little woo-woo, quite frankly. Uh, we suspect you yeah. might be too. So welcome to our <laughs> verse. And it's such a great episode today. We are talking about stories. The stories mm. we read, the stories we tell, and how these stories shape us which is just so fascinating and primal and it ties into archetypes as well. That's the other thing we're talking about today because last season, right, we got deep into our energy system and the chakras and the like whole woo-woo-verse that Mm. exists within all of us, which really nicely brings us to what we're going to be exploring through season two and that is the awareness that comes with your soul's awakening because as Mm. we work with energy, we begin to see the world symbolically We get to sense the depth in everything. We get to see themes rather than events. And storytelling is a really huge part of this, isn't it, Elle? Oh, massive. And this is the nice thing about being up in this chakric awareness. You get to see how these stories or the architecture of the experience is impacting on our growth and our awareness and how it affects our energy and how it affects everyone's energy. It's pretty mad. I love it. I love it too. I love this stuff. And the amount of times I kind of channel somebody that, you know, you've got to change inside of you to change outside of you. And that's kind of what we did in season one. We changed the inside right? And now we get to look to the outside and see what's changing out there. Yeah, our world is full of Mm. stories. Most of us are trying to get to Netflix or get (laughs) to see something, the end of something or read the book. Or listen to the podcast. Yeah, and we're instantaneously drawn to the fact that stories are used as entertainment. TV uses storylines. It depicts the neuroses of life or the stories are carrying things down also though through cultures, memories, lessons. They have been not just entertainment in the past and I would argue even now they're a teaching tool. They're kind of a healing art. They're medicine. Yeah, and the stories we tell in a culture tells you a lot about the culture and the stories that are allowed to be told and aren't allowed Mm. to be told. Like I always find it fascinating that Mm. you're allowed to have so much violence in stories. Like it's fine if somebody shoots 15 other people in a story that like is on a screen that children are allowed to see. But if anybody has sex, oh my God, like scandal. It is so true. And you realise that when you become a parent or you're a caregiver and helper and you go to put something very, very simple on and everything has violence in it. Mm. Like even PG now is, we were like, what? And I think that says a lot about us as a culture, yeah. Yeah, we're not making enough love. That's true. (laughs) You heard it here first, people. More lovemaking is what we need. They tap into a deeper part of us is what we're Mm, saying, you know, the the psyche, the primal aspect, all things like art, music, poetry, dance, they all do. And this is really poignant for right now because we are living in a flood of stories, almost a mass of story about what's going on with the virus and our world. And if we're not careful, the stories could become a virus of their own. And then what happens is we get into all the collective consciousness of fear. We remember all the stories from the past. And the trouble is there's not a lot of stories about what would happen after something like this and where it would go. It's up to us as a collective to stay really calm and to act, but equally to be in mindfulness that we are creating the story for the future Mm. and the things that we are projecting into create that next energy. So energy goes where attention flows, the way we speak, what we talk about, what we put energy into. And what we really want to be mindful of is that from any energy of chaos or anarchy and change, we want to be projecting into the future, the energy Mm. of renaissance and growth and healing and transformation. So we want to look at all the things that weren't working and we want to come up with some kind of personal individual and collective mental resolve about what that would be. 
we want to look for the power in it. We want to look mm. for the choice and we want to look how we can be part of creating something that is life-giving mm. and life-sustaining. Yeah. My favourite person, my spiritual crush in this kind of topic is Clarissa Pinkola Estes. Uh, she wrote that book, Women Who Run With The Wolves, that I've mentioned before, and she's just the go-to on this subject. Look, can we just invent a quick little drinking game here where every time you mention that book, everyone gets a shot of whatever <laughs> they want? Just, because just love you, saying just like, her name. Pinkola, it's love the her. best name. Yeah. <laughs> no. She but, is amazing. It you is know, let's, be, let's give credit where credit's yeah, due. Right. She's got a doctorate in <laughs> ethnoclinical psychology. And so she's a Jungian psychoanalysist. She teaches people to see through the story and grow. She says that the relaying of a story brings up psychic contents, like mm. collective and personal. And that is so true, isn't it? Well, because there is the two aspects to the story, the story being told and how you react to it. And then so many times you think, how does this fit in my life? Do I have this aspect going on? Is this, oh, my God, yes, I know what's happening here because it happened to me too. Yeah, and actually so much of the work we do is about stories, right? Mm. People are holding the stories in their aura. Mm. They're holding the stories in their energy. So we're reading mm. stories and actually really good clairvoyants read past the story of the mind or the, the mental energy and can see the story of the soul. Yeah. She says, I love this, but she says exchanging stories is a gift that we give each other. Like yeah. it's actually a really, really personal thing. When you tell me a story, it's one of the things like of highest honour mm. that I should understand that in there there'll be value for you and me. I mean except for like three and four-year-olds tell the worst stories. Oh, my God, my nephew <laughs> has just gotten into Beyblades. And if I have to hear another oh, dumb story about how a Beyblade hit another Beyblade, I swear to God my eyes are going to bleed. It's called Bay, actually. Oh, so well, I have not been listening. <laughs> My Bay. The yeah. only Bay I'm interested in is Beyonce. So <laughs> there's that. I'm just so up with Beyblades and I metal fusions. You name oh, it, I so, know about it. Uh, and who would have thought I did? But I do. <laughs> you know, look, it's true. Stories do engage us with excitement, sadness, longing. But equally, sometimes when it goes nowhere or there's no real feeling to it, mm. you're kind of like, I don't ever want to hear that story again. I've tuned out. Or when it's the same story again and again and again. And I think we've all had this in a friendship as well where the friend keeps coming back and is going, this is happening, this is happening. But they don't want to change the story. They don't want to update the story. They're stuck in the story. Well, I think on some level all of us are stuck in yeah. some story until yeah. we make the decision to use them and really see what we're yeah. constantly going on over and going no that's not going to be my story anymore yeah I rewrite my story yeah yeah because they're about transformation if we can write the ending but if yeah. the, if we're stuck in this kind of mm. middle zone she says it's kind of like where's the birth mm. you haven't completed the story yet yeah and it's not taking control is it if you let yourself just get locked in the story and this happened and, and it's going around there is a difference between being there and being like no I write my own story and I write the ending and I choose that it gets to be the hero's journey mm, choose is the word I choose that yeah, yeah. what kind of story yeah, and that the choosing is the thing, right? Because mm. when you're just retelling the story and you're kind of on loop and you're stuck, what's happening is you're saying, I've got no power. Mm. Where's my choice point here? Yeah. What can I do to find my choice point? You know, she talks about the stories that we watch all the time and she says that they're all always nearly about major human transitions, mm -hmm. birth, marriage, transformation, loss, sex, she says they're embodied with instruction and complexity and uh, I think the best stories are the things that people talk about, like the Joker recently is a really interesting example of something I think that confronted people because it was about how society had kind of failed this person that mm. was trying so hard to get help and couldn't and was falling apart and then they kind of split and went into this phase of themselves, but it was confronting. And some people hated that film mm. because it was too confronting, you mm. know. 
the whole of Hollywood, the movie industry, is based on this need from us to have these stories. And the stories we do tell and the stories we don't tell. Like, I didn't watch The Joker. I'm not interested in any stories starring men anymore. I'm just done. My entire <laughs> life, the men were the centre of the books I read because I was really into fantasy as a kid. Mm. So it was always a male hero. There was never really a female hero, except for Ursula K. Le Guin. Like, movies, it was always, there's always been so many man stories, so many white men stories. I'm actually just done. I feel like mm. I've seen every story you can show me with a white man in it. The stories mm. I'm really interested in now are stories from people in different bodies, different cultures, mm. the stories mm. that did not get told up until now yeah. or that you really had to go digging to find. That's where the stories yeah. or the really exciting different stories live I these agree. days. I have watched a few films recently because, you know, it was one of my passions and I studied film for a long time at university and literary texts and all of those kinds of things. And one of the things I feel now when I'm watching a film is I can tell if the script is written by a man. Yeah, yeah. And it's because the resolutions yeah. are very simple and I'm like, yep, that's not what she would do, actually. <laughs> yeah, you did yeah. not interview her. Yes, you've never met a woman. Why are you writing women? It would have taken a lot longer for that to happen. <laughs> I fly on aeroplanes a lot and I really have a policy of I only watch films with starring women, like women as the main characters on aeroplanes. I don't know, it's just this weird little thing that I do. So recently, what did I watch? I watched Ben. Spend it like Beckham, Frozen, and Muriel's Wedding, (laughs) like back to back. Like this is, this kind of works for me actually. I don't necessarily go, no men know this, but for me I'm like if it doesn't have somebody that understands complexity of life, Mm. like Clarissa's talking about here, then don't waste my time. Yeah, You know, like take filmmakers, storytellers, they are incredibly important people in our society and I watch a $16 trillion film and I get cranky Mm. if it's not telling us something new or it's not pushing us or it's not showing us the way out of a dilemma that we're really, really stressed about or excited about or feeling about. Yeah, I want my mind opened and I want my heart opened. That's what I want from my stories. I want to be challenged. Although in these difficult times, I also am looking for a lot of self-soothing stories. Yeah, like I'm like something really simple where no one gets hurt, please. Yeah, they can mix them. You know, I just watched Shit's Creek. I'm so behind. Don't ever ask me for the most modern anything, anyone, because I get like 20 minutes at the end of the day to watch anything. But I just watched the entire lot and I was like so excited to watch that show every single time they they really nailed so many beautiful things in that Mm. experience and congratulations crew I loved that and we need more of those explorations and laughs we do need some freaking laughs a story that I love about stories is that apparently they think we invented fire or like Mm. learned how to control fire and use it for cooking something like 50,000 years before language so there was just like 50,000 years of sitting around the campfire just no stories like maybe a bit of ug, uga, uga. Had to be but, a lot of like singing or sounding or sex. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was no grunting. no campfire stories. Shadows, shadow puppets. At the campfire, no language. <laughs> I think that's fascinating because this is really wow. old stuff. This is ancient stuff, isn't it? Dancing. Well, it is. And in some cultures, the storyteller was one of the pinnacle parts yeah. of the the group. And in in fact, there are storytellers who were trance storytellers. So everyone would gather around and the storyteller would sit and they would invoke the channel of what story the tribe needed to hear. You and I could have done that job <laughs> back then, back in the day. I do go off on stories all the time. I'm sure people are like, okay, this is my reading. Come on. <laughs> You're like, yeah, but you've heard, you heard the one about. <laughs> yeah, there is this wonderful um, story ca- called Lama Raposa and it's about a woman who comes in with the feathers and the shells and she dances in front of the crowd and it's her body that's the story and her dance is representing something that the crowd and the, the group need to understand and everyone just watches her and there's this beautiful line in the story and it talks about how she pollinates the souls Mm. of the universe Mm. by awakening them 
And and so this was the storyteller. In fact, there was actually a term for this that we use and it's called the bardic function. And the bard was the elder of the tribe that held the stories. And Kirill, you'll be happy to know it wasn't always men and Great. mostly not men. Good. <laughs> they suck. And that's where themes are told in stories like over and over and over. But it was about teaching and sharing. If they were not told, it was almost like the tribe was going to go the wrong way or things were going to be lost. So like you said, there was probably language and then it wasn't written down. So these stories had to be reshaped and retold depending on what the world at that time needed to understand to keep going. So some cultures were entirely spoken word. Nothing was written down. So if they didn't have this person that held the stories and they didn't, share them over and over again according to whatever was needed at the time, the information would have been lost between generations. So they were that important. It's super sacred, right? In Australia there's the mm. the song lines that run throughout the country oh. where, where the Aboriginal people yes. actually walk and sing and talk Phenomenal. and tell the story of the land that they're on and it's and it's religion and it's culture and it's spirituality and it's connection and it's And it, it transforms you. While yeah. you walk those lines, you're gathering wisdom. You're actually picking up the memory yeah, along yeah. those lines. Yeah. And it's the same when you hear a story. I guess in our lives at the moment, the grandmothers and the grandfathers mm. are our bones. They're the elders. They're the ones that they, you know, they're called the story keepers. Really, they hold for us wisdoms of our our generations gone, learnt old structures. It doesn't mean we have to agree with them, but they hold that frequency. And I think too many times in our family structures, either that's been lost or mm. we're not listening, we're not asking. Dismissed. You know, yeah, they're dismissed. And It's it's funny because when you say like the grandparents, the first thing that comes to me is like, back in my day, we used to have yeah. to walk to school uphill both ways. I don't have any grandparents that are alive, but I have people that I work with who are like in their 80s who mm. have been doing this work for, God, before I was even alive. Yeah. And I will go and listen and sit with them and listen to how it was and why they do it this way. And, you know, the amount of times they've told me something 10 years ago that I look and go, ah, that's why you did it. You know, that it's, yeah, they're so important. Yep. But a lot of it's not written down. You know, yeah, it's, it's just passed down. on. Clarissa Vigola Estes, she Take talks about, you know, stories being like electricity and that this electrical power can kind of animate the tribe. And what it kind of tells us, I guess, is how powerful stories are yeah. and the fact that like back, you know, in last season we talked about how there used to be a medicine person in Indigenous cultures who was really the one that people would go to if they were looking for a transcendental experience and they needed plant medicine. I guess the storyteller is a bit like that. They hold this potent energy because if you think about it, if they tell the story, say, for example, good versus evil and evil wins in the story and that gets handed down over and over and over Mm. and over and over again, that's going to have this massive impact on future generations. Whereas if every time that story is told that good versus evil and good wins, then it goes on to have ripple effect through the next generation. So this has been going on for a long time and that's why Hollywood and movie makers, directors, are the bards of our time. They hold a lot of power. Who are we giving this millions and millions and millions of dollars to? We should be more careful because... It Mm. will impact the next generation. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why it's so important that we have new voices coming in as well and that finally other stories are allowed to be told. So it's not just the same gatekeepers of culture. Yeah. I'm thinking a lot as well about how kids... So we live in a written language yeah. culture. So kids learn to read and write. Electronic written. Yeah. But that's really uh, when yeah. they when they learn to read and write is really when they pick mm. up a lot of stories as well. Like the actual, so, you know, when kids are little, they yes. start to read their own stories and learn their own stories. And it is an expanding and, and an words. opening in the mind. Because, yeah, they choose yeah. the book, right? And then they get to start choosing the story. Yeah, and words are very powerful mm. because they cast spell. That's why they call it spelling <laughs> but, really but what we get to spelling? I guess yeah that's, it is why they call it spelling but that that's what we really get to is this concept that there were collective stories there were stories that whole groups and whole cultures got to know and they repeated what's interesting is that there might be one story that we have told through Hans Christian Andersen, you know, over good versus evil or rags to riches. But that 
very similar thread can be found in another culture mm. in a very similar story. And that's fascinating. Yeah, I love that. But have you ever actually read any of the original Grimm's fairy tales? You know, like we've got Snow White and we've got The Sleeping Beauty and like have you read any of the originals? No, and you know what? I actually found some of those really scary when I was little. Like Grimm's fairy tales, it is so grim. In the original, Sleeping Beauty has three children while she's asleep because someone is raping her and she's giving birth while she's asleep and then she gets woken up. And she's like got not three cooked. kids. I did not go near them because they're terrifying. Even the Disney original Disney animations on a Sunday evening it's still kind of terrifying. Used to freak the heck out of me. Yeah. So no, I did not go towards those. But you raise an interesting point there because, and I will <laughs> say Clarissa Pinkola Estes is name again. <laughs> Take a shot, people. But, <laughs> but she, we need to think of something else other than a shot because poor sober people out there everywhere are like, no, like it can be of anything. It can be a piece of candy. It can yeah, be a shot. Yeah. Of water, it can be like a star yeah, jump, some coconut oil on the skin. That's whatever. <laughs> Just keep doing it every time she says Clarissa Pinkola Estes. Yeah, she does talk a bit about blood being let for a story to have impact, mm. like cat main character being transformed and and somehow taken out of control to be returned back into awareness. There were many stories as a child that I stayed away from and there was some that really impacted on me that I've just never really let go. In fact, a lot of the work I do, I centre around story because it had that big of an impact on me. How did you go with Charlotte's Web when you were a kid? I freaking loved Charlotte's Web. But then... I used to look at every spider web. Spider dies. Oh, God. You know what? I kind of got that. My dad's a botanist. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and we spent a lot of time watching nature. Yeah, I, okay. Nature documentaries oh. were on a lot of the time. I think that was my first experience of death and like having really? to mourn something and grieve something with Charlotte's Web because I was a really big reader when I was a kid. And in recent years, ah. I've been trying to figure out why I'm so different to my family. Like I'm I'm the Technicolor sheep and I can't couldn't kind of figure out why. I've got the same DNA as everybody else. I was raised in the same. Mm. House as everybody else, but I'm super different. And I think it's because I was a voracious reader. And so I read Not a, your lot, soul. a lot of. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. It's all reading. Um, yeah, I think it's because I read so much as a kid. And so I mm. just had different cultural input coming into my little head than the members mm. of my family had going into their little heads just because I was getting my information from different sources. Yes, I think that you were getting a lot of collective story wisdom Mm. that maybe everyone else wasn't Mm. allowing in, your perception of that story and what affected you in it was so different to me, right? And so these really strong themes in this story are still interpreted differently depending on where we're at. So for me, the spider dies, but that was natural. Spider died. I watched my grandma die, my great-grandma die. That was natural. But I was so excited that the pig wasn't slaughtered by man. Like I was just like, yay, the the animals conquered over this horrifying act. I love hearing your interpretation of that and what you went through because that changed you mm. on some level, I'm yep. sure. Yeah, I still get a bit teary thinking about it. And we're not even going to talk about when Beth dies in Little Women. Like we can't even go there because I will start crying. <laughs> okay. That was the other one that got me as a kid. Oh, Anne of Green Gables when oh, Matthew dies it. in the cow field. Oh, my God, I'm just stop like, it. I cried for a week. Oh, no, I seriously cry. cry for a week. Anne of Green yeah. Gables. <laughs> what other stories from your childhood? Or influenced you, really stuck with you? It's so funny because someone asked me the other day, but it, when I was about to do a reading, who's never met me and said, can you kind of define yourself, which seems to be a big thing at the moment. And I was like, okay, do you know a lot of films? Because that's probably the best and quickest way for me to explain myself. And I was like, well, I'm kind of like Dorothy with because I had three brothers and I was kind of mm. walking down the yellow brick road and I knew I was going somewhere, but no idea, big cyclone. And then somewhere in there I turned into Alice and I fell down this crazy rabbit hole and was like learning all this stuff. And, you know, I kind of really do associate with those stories because they were all about other worlds, two dimensions, two places. And I lived in that and I wondered why they had such an impact on me. But I think that's why. Yeah, you're definitely a Dorothy with a rising Alice. That's for sure. (laughs) And a little bit of Tank Girl right up there in the back. Yes, that was a big one for me as a teenager (laughs) as well, actually. I was like, okay, so she's who I want to be when I grow up. 
Awesome. Cool, cool, cool. (laughs) She lives in the background for me, but she might come out every now and again. Yeah, nice. What about you? What about you? What about me? I read a lot of fantasy books as a kid. So I was a really big fantasy sci-fi reader. And so I think that was a similar thing for me for what the two worlds were for you. It was like Mm. going, I had this connection to the idea of the magic or the magical place or the different land. And, and also generally in those stories, it's the hero's journey, those stories. Yeah. So it's somebody yeah. who Frodo thinks he's just a hobbit. No, mm. he's actually going to save the world, but he's got to like yeah. do the work to get there. Um, yeah. I think that that idea of, of the hero's journey uh, turned up in a lot of stories I read as a kid. Yeah. And I really liked the idea that that maybe I did have a connection to something else or maybe there was a bigger world out there or maybe there Mm. was an adventure that I was going to go on and have and that the world that I lived in at the time was not the whole world, that there was something bigger and more going on. I really enjoyed that stuff as a kid. I agree. And I think that that hero's journey has such a... Gosh, it starts so young, mm, doesn't Harry it? Potter. And it's funny watching our children choose their heroes, you know, and the heroes' journeys because there's a many to choose from, which is amazing. There were films that really woke me up. So, I mean, I, I love story and film. That's why I went to uni and chose it as all my majors because that was my my world. I just basked in it. But there were films that I remember going and sitting for days and thinking, wow, I will never be the same. Yeah, right. One of those weirdly was The Dark Crystal. That really oh, yeah, freaked me out as a kid. In. I watched it a bit a little too early Yeah, and yeah. the light and the dark and how they all were linked. I was like, whoa, yeah, okay. It's a lot. But JFK by Oliver Stone. Oh, yeah, okay, I, wow. I was not expecting that. But what it was was that I had been sold a story mm-hmm. of a certain what was going on at the time. And then when I watched that film and all the dots were put together yeah. and I was like, whoa, maybe everything isn't what I read in the Courier Mail in Brisbane. <laughs> <laughs> hold on a minute. Hold, hold the phone, people. Hold the phone. You know what one of my big one was is I've always been a bit more into television than movies. Mm-hmm. I like the short format. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like just straight up Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I have a friend who's a total Buffy addict. Yeah, people were impacted. Yeah, I've watched it many times, every episode many, many times. And I have had periods of my life where it's kind of saved me. And I can really clearly remember a day, I must have been 21, I was doing too many drugs at that time. I was raving really hard. I was working in media. I was being 21. I was anorexic. Like I was in a bad way, but I didn't realise I was in a bad way. I'd managed to compartmentalise no, everything. you don't because you're not in your body. So yeah. you're like, what What yeah. bad way? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm just yeah. keeping on, keeping on. And then this one mm. day I was at work at the ridiculous internet radio station I was working at at the time. Radio cool. Oh, my God. Anyway, and I just had a bit of a breakdown at work and I was like, I have to go. I can't be here anymore. And I went home and I shut myself in my room and somehow I'd been given season two of Buffy on VHS. So there were a lot of VHSs in in that pack and I went home yeah. and that's the one that's got becoming one two I think is the last two episodes of the season and I sat there and watched the whole thing from beginning to end and by the end of it I was like I can do this I've got this if Buffy wow. can do this I can do this I can do life it, yeah. is hard but I can overcome and I was fine it actually was like 10 years of therapy in one afternoon it can help you transcend yeah, yeah when I was having a really hard time in my twin pregnancy journey my friend sent me a package and it was Gavin and Stacey, the entire series, never heard of it. I was like, because so I was funny. out of the loop. And she said, please, I know you're having a hard time and you need some laughs. Put it on. You know what? It just sat there for a while. Mm-hmm. And one day I got home from a scan, which was always really scary for us because the twins were identical. And got home, I just had to stop thinking. And I think we just put it on. And that was it. That was a game changer yeah. for me because once I could go into something where I could laugh and I could just follow the characters along, yeah, yep. it was amazing. I'll tell you another character that really impacted on me was Boo Radley. Oh, yeah, okay. In to Kill a Mockingbird yep. because the whole way through you're like, oh, Boo Radley, oh, Boo Radley. Mm. And then all of a sudden that nature that something isn't what we think it is or Mm. you know like it really got me thinking and that I remember reading that book and being quite quite like reflective you know I'm such a nerd for me it was Helen Keller I got given her autobiography when I was a kid and it just changed my life I've read it so many times 
because yeah, that's she, amazing. Yeah, because she just, she had such a rough time. Like she was blind, deaf and dumb. And they yeah. kind of thought she'd be locked in there forever and that she and she yeah. thought she'd be locked in there forever. Again, that this idea yeah. that there's this whole world out there that she didn't know about. Mm. And then she found mm. access to the world. And mm. yeah, it just really changed my life. I've had moments where like I thought I was heading into one film or mm. one book. Like I was like, oh, this is going to be fun or this is going to mm. be. And then bam, it's like right what I need to see at that time. Yeah. If you look at the structure of stories, there's a couple of common mm. elements, isn't there? There's not just beginning, middle and end. There are like these categories of hero's journey and good versus evil, love, redemption, courage and perseverance, coming of age, mm. revenge. So there's these stories that are outside of us, these stories that we uh, consume and engage with and inspire us at all ages. And then there's the stories in our own lives as well. It's like a tapestry being woven. Yeah, so we're watching all these stories, but we are a story. We're living a story. We're creating a story, aren't we? And we take some of our ideas from the stories. I have a really clear memory of seeing Beverly Hills 90210. And just thinking that Brenda was the coolest thing I'd ever seen and I wanted to be Shannon Doherty so bad. And there was a great scene in it where I don't know what her parents are talking to her about her, but I don't know, but she screams at them, you can't tell me what to do, and then goes to her room and slams the door. And that kind of solved the problem. Then she got to do what she wanted to do. I tried that on my parents (laughs) when I was about 15. It did not go well and I did not get the same result and I really was like oh everything that happens in the movies can't happen in real life (laughs) yeah I felt like that about Carrie Bradshaw and how much money she obviously spent on clothes yes and going out and drinks and I was like it's just not working with my credit card (laughs) why is that it's just not working with my credit card yeah yeah, so we definitely have our own stories. It's like we have our own life map and we talked a little bit about this in the first chakra where we said you can mark your highs, your lows, your losses, your joys, your wisdoms gained and the where you've scraped your knuckles, where you've been groping in the dark, walking in circles. Carissa Pinkola Estes talks about all of God. these things as like forming your being, your own experience and I think the thing is that they're embedded within us. You know, they actually have done this study on the heart and the cells of the heart. And it has all these neurons in it, so it acts like a brain. It actually mm. has memory. So when something happens to you and it really impacts on you, you don't just lodge it up in your mind. You sit it in your heart. You lodge it in well. your heart. Yeah. And there have been these stories where people have got heart transplants and then their heart, the heart has been put in their body. Yes, and get other people's memories and, yes, and get their stories. And they have dreams and memories and they're like, oh, I've been here before and, oh, now I've I wrote poetry and I have this amazing, amazing memory of this woman and yeah. it's because it's in the cellular memory of our heart. And stories do, again, like you said at the beginning of this, stories do live in our energy. They mm, do live in our bodies. They we do. do carry our story around with us. They are 100% energy. Yeah, we can transform it. Yeah. We absolutely can transform it. We might not even know we're carrying it around, though. We might not even know that actually that story is living in our body and if we want to move it through, we can. Yeah, and Carolyn Mee says our biography becomes our biology, meaning Mm. the energy landscape becomes our body and a masseuse. If you have a a very, very professional masseuse, they will be able to put their hand on the back and say, wow, that is a lot of anger or that is a lot of hurt or in your shoulder blade, wow, when did somebody betray you? They can feel it. When I did a massage course, we had to go outside and find a tree and look at the way it was shaped and formed and you could see the wind had pushed things in certain directions if it was always coming from one way or the tree was going towards the light or it had been harmed in some way or it had grown around something that was a scar or not and the person that was training us said bodies are exactly like that we carry that story and when you're getting a massage you're asking can you please help me get that story and energy moving again it's like at every moment we're choosing what we put in our cabinet and how it's shaping us really. Mm. That's really part of awakening. That's why we're talking about it at this point because after you've been through all that other amazing stuff, you can kind of get to a point and go, 
well, I'd like to take control of this story. I'd like to think about it a little bit more from here on in. Yeah. There's unconscious and conscious time. A shaman that I worked with in Berlin when we were doing ayahuasca, somebody who hadn't done it before was asking, what, what's it like? What, what change does it bring about? And one of the things he said, and it's always stuck with me, he said it's, it helps you learn to take your life less personally, mm. which sounds weird. No, but true. actually it does. It's is this process of being able to step back and not mm. be involved in every gritty little detail, like in the details so much, more of the themes. Yes. And be able to like take this bird's eye view. And that's where it's nice to sit down and do that looking back at your life and having mm. a look at the structure. And Because there are times where people made other choices for you and that led to certain things, which, of course, it creates disempowerment. And you might say, well, I'm never putting myself in a position where I ha allow someone to have that control again. You know, there are structures to us. Well, yeah, the structures of our stories, the structures of the of the society's stories, there's a couple, mm, aren't there? There's some com common elements, not just yeah. beginning, middle and end. There's the hero's journey, yeah. good versus evil, love, redemption, revenge. Yeah, the hero's journey, you know, that, the call, the challenge, the transformation. Yeah, mm. and but equally, you know, like an action-adventure movie has its own formula, has its own recipe. Rom-com has its own recipe. Rom-coms? Rom-com. Totally have a formula. Yeah. And you can, like, judge a rom-com based on its formula, right? <laughs> well, they know that you're going to buy the ticket. Imagine there is disappointment if she doesn't get the guy or he doesn't get the girl. Like... Is that a rom-com? Probably yeah. not. That's a drama. Yeah. It's like, I'm not here for stark reality. <laughs> yeah. I'm here for fantasy. Thank you. Like, please give it to me. Do you mind? Yes. So strong patterns, yeah. you know, start to appear. When you look at these stories, characters kind of generally start to take shape around a certain kind of persona, story arcs appear. We know that we're going to go through different things when we're watching a certain kind of movie. And these repeat over and over and over. But they represent patterns in human nature. And that's kind of to do with the structure of stories, mm. to do with the people who appears in the stories. Because we've got like the flow of the story, the mm. themes of the story, and then we've got the characters, haven't we? And we think of them in terms of archetypes. Yeah. And all you have to do is go into like a preschool or a kinder or even a grade one class and have a look at the way kids write stories and they know there's a, a princess or a good innocent yeah. person and then there's a bad, bad someone and yeah they know these things and they're archetypal characters where we set into play up with to create a certain mm. message at the end like good versus evil yeah tr good triumphs yeah. yeah 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 and this repeats over and over and over and over and over and they represent so much about what our thinking is as a collective, as individuals. Collective unconscious. Collective unconscious, unconscious absolutely. Well, you know, Carl Jung was really, I mean, you know, he studied the dreaming. So he was really into symbols and he noticed that in people's dreams that they started to centre around these kinds of themes and also around certain kind of characters within us and within our lives. Yeah, so he named 12, mm. the sage, the innocent, the explorer, the ruler, the creator, the mm. caregiver, the magician, the hero, the rebel, the lover, the jester and the orphan were the 12 archetypes he came up with. And the idea is that we have all of them inside of us, right? Some of them are more prominent, but they're all in there. Yeah, yeah some of them are more expressed than others. And the mm. use of these archetypal characters and situations kind of gives a literary work a universal acceptance. It's like we can come to it and go, ah, it's why pantomimes don't didn't really have any words. Mm. So many times it was just action and emotion and body movement. Mime, for example. But you can feel this kind of archetypal energy happening and we really, really respond to it. And it's also believed that once we can identify those aspects within us, we can work with it to unlock a more whole character. Like we get to go, mm. okay, so there is a rebel in me, but is that going to be yeah. – the part of me that tends to every single day, you know, like my tank girl. Yep. There was times that she was necessary. She, she was necessary, yeah. but she certainly can't rule the roost every day. Like that would, mm. that would be very destructive to me and also to others. So you learn, mm -hmm. I think over time that they're all within you, but you kind of befriend them and give them roles that are really empowering rather than, 
disempowering. Give yourself permission to contain multitudes as well. I don't always have to be the Mm. one person. I don't always have to be the one way. I am allowed to change and grow Mm. and have different aspects of me turn up at different points. All of me is welcome. That's what that's the what I've really found in archetype work and what's really it's helped me with is seeing the shadow parts of myself and the hidden parts of myself. And it's just a different mm. prism to see my actions and choices 100%. through. 100%. Like a more empowering prism. And so do you know something that it really helped me with? I was choosing partners, lovers, based on one aspect of my archetype. If you went back through my life, you would go, Tank Girl chose him. Yeah. God, we do that, don't we? And Crazy Hippie Art Girl chose him. Yeah. And like all these parts that were prominent at a certain period when I need a boy or a partner. Yeah, my victim chose too many of my partners Uh when I was younger. See, it's really important. So do you know what the turning point for me was? I did this work. Sat down and amazing, of course, to have a wonderful therapist, counsellor, psychologist, whatever it is, whoever it is, but they have to be awake, Mm. you know. doesn't matter how many credentials you are. If you don't understand this, it doesn't matter. You need someone who gets this. Sat down and helped me do this and look at all the parts of myself. We drew a big pie Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. we segmented it up and she got it into this place and we kind of drew percentages on which ones are kind of my prominent ones and which ones are my ones that kind of live at the back and we realized that all these partners were part and parcel of it no one had got the complexity right and so I would get bored if my kind of good girl server Virgo nun who was a little wild but mostly good chose somebody she was like going mm-hmm. Ah, oh, this is great. We bought a toaster. Mm. I'm kind of bored. Yeah, and your tank girl was going, yeah. when can we blow some shit up, please? I was like, I'm going to date the boy with the blue mohawk. That's when I'm going next. And so it was this constant thing yeah. until I went, oh, I have to find somebody who's got the same kind of complexities in them as I do and who gets it. And we kind of, our complexity meets. So, yeah, maybe sometimes we do go and plant trees in the forest, but other times we're like, fuck it. We're not doing that today. You know, it's like. <laughs> we're getting wild. Yeah, like you need that. I think that's the wholeness. Yeah, and when you allow yourself to be whole mm. and you allow yourself to contain multitudes, you allow other people to 100%. be whole and contain multitudes yeah. as well. And they don't always have to be exactly the same. They're allowed to also be quite diverse within themselves. And again, yeah, you're right. You're like the crazy parts of me can meet the crazy parts of you and we can just be crazy together. And then occasionally we'll do the tax together and it's fine. Yeah, and we do the tax. I grew up with a family that had a lot of openness. Like if you want to be a baseball player, that's great. If you want to... I skate in a hot country, awesome. If you don't want to do a certain thing for a reason, that's okay. So when we got to this, this was quite easy for me to go, I don't know what I am. But I work with people Mm. and I really understand that if you've grown up and it's really not okay to be something, Mm. that this is very complex and very scary work because suddenly someone's going, are you sure? Like you've got more than one in there and people like, I've had people say to me, yeah, I'm just a little bit afraid that the one in front, if they lose control, what's going to happen? You know, I get it. This is really, really big work. And it will generally be once you've worked through all the other dilemmas in your life, like survival, what are your principles, money, sex, power stuff, self-esteem, forgiveness, self-expression, boundaries, intuition. Like you'll have touched on all of this and then all of a sudden you'll get up to this space and you'll think, no, I want to understand all of it. So it kind of happens Mm. somewhere when you're ready for it. I think you start to see yourself as not one character, but a few. And to like really be able to feel good about that too. It's not duplicitous. No, that's right. It's not that you're faking anything. It's not that you're tricking people. Yeah, no. That you actually, it's more about letting yourself be whole and completely who you are. And also it's developmental. Like I don't Mm. think it is necessarily healthy as as a 20-year-old to be over-processing yourself at that point. Like if that's yeah, not your yeah. journey. And also if then, you're 45, you know, and still behaving exactly the same way you were when you were 18, that's also not yeah, healthy either. Yeah, like you need to yeah, be growing and changing. Yeah. There's there's water that's going to try and fashion the rock at some point, but it does happen. Mm. These these this stuff does happen when it's ready. It is develop it's on some level developmental. Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, like we talked about, season 1 was all doing the work inside. Mm. And now season two is more about looking at what happens in the outside. And so you kind of have to do the work inside to be able to 
to take a look outside as well. This stuff blows your mind and you kind of sit with it for weeks. You know, you go, I'm going to sit with mm. this for a few weeks and really nut this yeah, out. Yeah, <laughs> like, Good thought experiments. Someone said to me once, oh, how do they get these archetypes, you know? And I said, it's really interesting you ask that because if I told you that, you know, we have pathology for disease, so doctors back in the day, you know, had people come in and go, I've got the measles. This is what it looks like. I've got the measles. <laughs> you know, like they were like, this is the measles. Oh, there's those spots again. People come in, there's those mm. spots again. There's a fever, there's runny eyes. And then they watched the way it moved and it transformed and they could tell whether or not it was the same pathology. It's the same with this. Yeah, okay. If you read on any of these archetypes, the magician does similar things with energy. They transform it into something. The sage mm -hmm. brings in wisdom. The lover uses the heart. Like there's constants. The party girl gets the dance floor started. <laughs> Sorry, that's one that I know that's not actually one of the official ones. My God, party girl is absolutely you. That is true. Yeah, yeah, right? Like when I was doing the archetype work, I was like, okay, some of these really speak to me. Some of them I need to invent myself. And I was like, well, party girl is a large aspect of who I am. But it just hasn't been included yet. Obviously, Jung and Carolyn Meese weren't really into that aspect of things and forgot to include it. <laughs> so the general understanding is that we have 12 and that there are four main ones. But I'm kind of going to be a little bit provocative here and say I think there are five main ones and we'll talk a bit about yeah, that in a go. minute. No, Carolyn Meese, I would never question her work because I'm really, really Caroline. in it, but I really think after teaching a little bit of this, I want to add in a fifth that I constantly see really okay. helps people. So I'm really interested to hear what this is because the four she says a child, victim, saboteur, prostitute, yeah. right? She says we all have those. Yeah, well, she says they tell us how we relate to the world in terms of our personal power, right? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. When you hear them, they sound really negative and positive, but they're actually quite neutral and we'll yeah. talk about that. Let's go through these. The child is our beginning point. It's the innocence, the guardian. Mm -hmm. Everyone's child could be a little bit different, okay? So you could be an orphan yeah, child, so yep. neglected. Disenchanted, meaning nothing good ever came through, never happened. Mm. Dependent child, nature oh, child, yeah. artistic child. She talks about all of these different kinds of aspects within the child. But the child is the way our innocence connects with the world. The victim yep. that you mentioned is how we yep. cope with fear and disempowerment. Yeah. And it can yep. come yep. up yep. where it usually emerges in our journey and why is when we don't get what we want and need, when we're not deeply yep. fulfilled. Yep. Now, someone could yep. look at us from yep. the outside and go, oh, my goodness, I'm giving you everything but languages of love kind of stuff. It may not have hit the, yeah, hit yep. the mark for whatever reason. Yep. And it's also what we do when we're accused or punished. It's a very, very vulnerable mm. aspect, but it's got a lot of little claws yep. in there. And this yep. is where we need to develop some self-esteem, honesty, integrity, and have courage. And she says it also has to do with endurance. So that's her second one. The third one is the yep. prostitute, which you mentioned. And that's where we exchange or, sell or bargain and hold value around ourselves. So what we're prepared to trade and yeah, that's really yeah, back in the yeah. throat chakra. Yeah. It's how we take yeah. care of ourselves. It's how we create mm -hmm, boundaries. Mm -hmm. It's what we will accept from others, which I think is interesting. Yeah. And definitely one of the core ones. Um, number four, saboteur. Oh, my gosh. I love working with people saboteur because you can get really big changes quickly. But the way yes. we, it's the way we dismantle our personal power. And we just yeah. mess up the journey. And can't hold it, yeah. can't receive yeah. it, can't we sit comfortably in it. We disrupt energy. Yeah. Have to blow it up. <laughs> blow crap up. Yeah. Mirror the fear of power and responsibility, like we shirk the responsibility. Mm. But the fifth one that I've come to know and what love, is it? oh, you're going to love it, is the addict. I actually yeah. think within all of us, and perhaps she would say this is the saboteur or the victim, but over the years I've been mm. teaching and helping people cast their 12 archetypes, I really came to a point where every single time I go, "Can what if we recast that with the addict in it? And the addict for me is the way we undermine 
our power, the way we escape, the way we dip out or reach for the easy option or numb out. Yeah, you mm. have to be really And I think in these modern times, yeah, the addict absolutely has risen in all of us because we're really stressed and there's a lot going on and it's all really complicated and maybe we can't handle it all and maybe we you know we're living in this really complicated time but we haven't potentially been given the tools to navigate that within ourselves and care for our mental health so we check out so we like whether it's social media or whatever it is we just like do a bit of numbing what's fascinating about that is that we probably never had so much access to power and to be able to do things or change things Mm, so this might be emerging because it's how we cope when we can't manage the power within us but that could be this I I, I agree that it could almost be connected to the saboteur but I've just really found that when you cast it with the addict it just puts a whole new thing on it well yeah because it's slightly different isn't it like saboteur is like really pulling things apart addict is like numbing out seeking pleasure seeking easy way like it's not quite the same as self-sabotage it's a little bit tied to prostitute. It's a little bit tied to victim. Yeah. But it's a really potent energy. Look, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I love Caroline mm. as well. So I also would yeah. never argue with Miss Moose. But um yeah, I see that. I think I think you're right. <laughs> well, so I when I cast it, I go, Okay, they're the five, the child. What type mm. of child are you? The victim, the prostitute, the saboteur, and the addict. And then you need to choose mm-hmm. seven more. Now this is going to sound hilarious, but the best thing to do is to go and get Carolyn Meese's book, and we are not sponsored by her in any way, Sacred Contracts. Just inspired by. <laughs> yes, because basically what she says is that these can be chosen by you and your soul and then cast into that kind of pie shape that I was talking about where you can get to really know who your 12 inner archetypes and energies are. The rest of them could be something like the artist, the mother, the dreamer, the witch, the alchemist, the maven, the director, architect, engineer, any of the Carl. Party girl. (laughs) Party girl. (laughs) I realised that I, okay, I invented party girl, but I realised that I have both the crone and the party girl. I think I had the nun. And then Mm. I definitely had, I wouldn't say she was a party girl. She was like, she's just wild. One of my favourite shows when I was little was The Flying Nun and she was very naughty. <laughs> She'd just leave the convent whenever she wanted to and she had nun. gentleman friends, let's <laughs> just say. But people will say to me, I feel like my nun has taken over and they're not meeting anyone and yeah. as soon as they address that, they go, yeah. now I don't feel like I'm in my nun anymore. So these are really important. Yeah. But um, she has 70 in the book. That she has documented yeah, and so. massive blurbs on all of them. So it's well worth it. Yeah, trove of information. Who's your main one? My work, my main work archetype is teacher. Yeah, I've got teacher as well. And I really wanted it to be artist <laughs> when I was younger. <laughs> and then I went, okay, it's not really an artist. For that? I, yeah. And then I went into director because I loved stories and film directing and all of that kind of stuff. And I loved yeah, that. Yep. And even that. It fell short because I couldn't, you know, other than people like Steven Spielberg and people like that that are bards of our time, it just wasn't happening for me. So, and then I was already a teacher. That's the ironic thing. And then when (laughs) I realised when I did this, I was like, what are you doing? You are a teacher. Like it doesn't matter what you do, you think in terms. You always have people writing to you and it's exactly like I, I live my life as a teacher. Mm, I've realised my main one is provocateur. Mm. I've always been a pain in the ass. <laughs> I've always kind of come along and been like, mm, I know that you said that that's the way that that should be done, but I disagree. Like, tell me why that has to be done that way. I don't know that that has to be done that way. I'm going to just do it my own way. Thank you very much. Well, that's my yeah. that's my work one. My work one is teacher, but my one outside of work could possibly slightly maybe sit on the edge of eternal child. Oh, yeah. Okay. And oftentimes my partner okay. and my best friends will say, where's your head at? Because <laughs> gravity doesn't mean anything <laughs> to me. Or, you know, and even like with my kids, I've often thought, I know I'm your mum. I still don't feel old enough to be your mum. And I think the internal yeah, okay. child lives in there. Yeah, so I have all yeah. this responsibility and almost karmic responsibility reading people and guiding people and then when I'm not working sometimes I just want to be fun and I don't want to worry about anything I just want to wear sparkly things and go shopping do you have a different work one to a different 
to a personality one? Yeah, I think I'm teacher at work as well or like sage at mm. work. I also think that I, I have like a, an equal provocateur because I like to shake things up and I need to have it explained to me. Why do we have to do it like that? I love your provocateur. I love it. My eternal child loves your provocateur. <laughs> yes. I'm also this student as well, mm. always doing different courses and learning different things. And like, I'm really fascinated by learning yeah. Yeah, and having teachers. And even as the teacher, like I've got both the teacher and the student Yeah, because I, I sit in both roles yeah, at different that's times. So, true. so you take these 12, whatever your 12 are, main five and the other seven that you come up with. And then what's Roughly. amazing about this and what she's done is she's gone, okay, there's 12 aspects of our lives. Ego and personality, life values, self-expression, home, creativity, occupation, marriages and relationships, other people's resources, which is always interesting, spirituality, highest potential, your relationship to the world and the unconscious. And that's kind of the stuff back of house. Like it kind of dictates everything really. Mm. Now that list of 12 things ends up being what you cast those archetypes against. So, for example, we just spoke about in my occupation, teacher is in my occupation. Yeah. At home, but then there's eternal relationships child, as well, right? right? Yeah. yeah. It's interesting because when I have worked with people on this and I always love this, it's like it literally is. You pull it out of a hat. You Read the book. She's amazing. She's got a whole system to this. If people have their addict, for example, in marriages and relationships, they will tend mm. to say to me, wow, that's actually, I am very love addicted, sex addicted at times. I could give everything away for a relationship. And so you can learn yeah. a lot about this. It, people who have spirituality in their creative section and they're trying to separate their spiritual life from their creativity. And as soon as they bring it together, they go, oh my God, look at that. Yeah. It's really powerful. It's beautiful. It, it is a prism that you can use to see your life through, through your, see yourself yeah. through its gates of perception, come to a new understanding mm. of who you are and what you're doing and why you're doing it. Good way to discover your patterns mm. as well. And I love it because it is all of, it's this unconscious, it's this collective unconscious, it's stories, it's archetypes, it's the, um, the macro stories of the society mm. and the archetypes and the characters in society and the micro that exists inside of us as well. And you can take that casting of the 12 life aspects and your 12 archetypes and have a look at it and look back at your life and go, wow, there were times where whole sections of my life were being governed by certain archetypes, by, you know, yeah, and if, yeah. if I do this now, yeah, my tank girl, yeah, if I do this now, I can change that. If tank girl appeared in my creative section, I always handed in great work. That's when I bring her out. So you know when to bring certain things out and when to go, that tank girl should not be making relationship choices right now. She's not driving yeah. today. Does working with archetypes give us any sense as to why we're here? Yeah, I think this is a really great tool. If you're like one of those people that are like, I don't think I'm in the right job or I don't mm -hmm. know if I'm in the right mm -hmm. country or I'm not sure I'm working with the right yep. people or it, why do I keep choosing yep. these certain relationships, this work is really great because I think you can see a bit of a sacred contract. So I had been rejecting myself as a teacher for a long time and wanted to be in. Yeah, okay. I love art, artistry. It's whimsical, right? So the enchanted yep. eternal yep. child wanted to be there. But truly I yeah. had to come to terms with the fact that I could be a whimsical, happy teacher. I didn't have to become the crone yeah, to be a teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my job was to leave yep, the yep. place I felt caged teaching and go and teach mm -hmm. my way, couldn't be happier, yeah, right? Yep. So you can transform yep. this, but it does show you a lot about why you're here in a sacred contract is almost like what your soul wants to fulfill and express through you and your personality and your hopefully balanced ego. And it's like it all comes together. And, I, I mean, you've had a career transition and now you're doing this in podcast, which I just think is such an amazing thing because it's like you finally discovered yourself as a, a spiritual teacher and now you've brought that together with radio. And then as soon as I started reading and then I started teaching, it was like these light bulbs yeah. went off in my body. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. oh, I'm here. I'm real. Yeah, I've always been here to broadcast. Mm. 
Always. And I just got lost in the middle there for a little bit because I had my, I worked from 13 to 28, I worked in radio. And then I was like, oh no, I'm doing a different path. It's completely different. And yeah, now I've come back around and go, oh no, same path, (laughs) soul contract, definitely here to do this. (laughs) Just figuring out different ways of making it work. And, And Caroline says that, you know, coming to know your mission just increases your energy, increases your health. You know, she did 8,000 medical intuitive readings in 17 years. And I don't know how many I've done, but that's exhausting. <laughs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> she kind of watched and she was like, yeah, there are patterns. And I would agree with her. Over the years I've been reading, the reason I think this work is so important is you watch hundreds like a doctor of people come in with similar conversations and readings and they feel it's unique but there are similar locks and keys and that's what we're talking about here is that yes you are special and unique like everyone else and there are collective stories and archetypes and there are locks and keys and journeys out of like this this, i like this analogy locks Locks and keys keys. is a really great way of putting that's how i see it when i read Mm. i literally go that's the lock where's the key that's the lock Where's the key? And whenever I ask that, that's how I get a really quick download. Sometimes you look at your archetypes and you'll go, I have to let one go or I have to evolve one. So the one I had to evolve was the angel. I was blonde. I think we've talked about this before. And I went, oh, she doesn't, she's not going to hold the strength that's required to do this work. It's actually very, very you have to be quite fortified mm. to do this work. There's a, you know, obviously there's social backlash for doing what we do and saying what we say. You have to have strong levels of love and compassion, but you also have to have mega freaking boundaries to go, I'm an empath, but just because I'm a kind person, you can't take. And ovaries of steel. <laughs> you can't take my energy. So, uh, you know, the angel had to kind of evolve and if you look at a lot of clairvoyants they have had blonde hair and they will go to red and sometimes they'll keep a little blonde streak just to remind them of their angel i don't have that but it's true look at them Mm. this is also fascinating Mm. i love it what are our takeaways from today Oh, write your own story. Look at your own story. Understand your story. Look for themes. Yes, yes. This is one thing I find that as I really start to read people mm. and, and as I see people kind of transcend, yeah, they get to pull back from the, oh, she did this and she said that yeah. and no, no, no. And it's like, yeah, but what's the theme here? Yeah. Like, let's pull back. It's not about this individual. Think of it as a movie, as a story that needs, uh, it's got a problem, there's a solution. What's the most powerful choice? You mentioned it before you know Carl Jung believed that archetypes live in all of our collective unconscious and he said that by working on your individual stuff you go on to change the collective conscious because every person that understands the parts of themselves will not contribute as much to the the dramas you elevate yourself so you can be in a situation and go I'm I'm not going to go there we're not going to yeah, go there I see because the my yeah. once upon a time, the part of me that would have wanted to power struggle is not going to do that. And he was talking about, you know, in order to change the mass collective conscious, the mass collective energy, we're going to have to start with at least making peace with these parts in ourselves. And so by understanding our own individual energy and story and character, we then become such a strong piece of the puzzle which creates the collective. So every evolved adult, non-saboteuring, non-victimised human that lives on the planet that says, hey, we can fix this, we can resolve this, we can send energy into a positive future, starts creating a better collective story. We start being able to believe in a harmonious, equalised positive future yeah absolutely hey you know what my main takeaway from today mm. is that you're madly in love with clarissa pincola estes and you want to marry her and have her baby that's basically well, I'm what i'm walking with a quote on her thinking, from her if you don't mind because <laughs> i are. just love her oh. no i truly am spiritually in love with her and i mean that in the highest sense no, go for it. but what i love about her is she reminds us that there's order in the chaos Everything. and that there is a way through and that the blood let is there for a reason like and it teaches not only us it teaches others but she says I hope you'll go out and let stories happen let life happen to you and you will work with these stories from your life and your life will change somebody else's life water them water your stories with your blood and tears and your laughter 
till they bloom, till you burst into full bloom. That's your work. That's your only work. Go on. You love it too. You do. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. If you have not already gone and rated us and reviewed us like all over the place and written a whole story in the review section about how amazing we are, could you please, actually? That would be amazing. And if you have... Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. We've got our Universal Treasure Chest episode on this is going to be a journaling exercise. So look out for that next week. And finally today, one recommendation each of just something that we're really into Mm. at the moment. And I would like to go first because it's another one of our mutual Mm. love. Iana Van Zandt has a podcast called Iana Fix My Life. And it is Basically, the audio from her TV show, which is a reality TV show where she goes into different people's circumstances and helps them heal what needs healing. And I'm just, I'm completely obsessed with it. It's part trashy reality TV, part sobbing at healing and seeing people heal. And I am addicted. She is the truth. She's just like the truth walks through the door. She is a powerful (laughs) woman. Yes. Oh, my God, she's amazing. <laughs> she's like, I'm sorry, what's the truth here? Yep, I yeah, I love her. Yeah, yeah. So that's my recommendation. What's yours? Okay, mine's a little mine's a little bit more body-focused, a little bit more. Go get yourself one, people, because it is amazing. I am going to recommend my the Shakti mat. Oh, yes. It's probably got about 10,000 needles in it or something. Oh, my God. It should be awful, but they're amazing, right? Yeah, I, I was sceptical. And then I lay on one for 20 minutes and I was completely transformed. And I do it every single night without fail. My partner used to steal mine and now I have bought him one too. So we do it together, couples that Shakti Matt together, hopefully stay together. Or not. They might just go and Shakti Matt. Or they go marry their Shakti Mats, whatever. But I'm strongly recommending the Shakti Matt, particularly if you've got shoulder, upper back and lower back pain or tension. It's probably really for tension. It's such a thing and I'm not sponsored by Shakti Matt at all. But I just... If you're tense and you can't get to a massage, this is a really good thing. Warm bath, Shakti mat your heart out. That's what I'm going for today. Good times. Hey, Woo Crew, we love you. Lynette, support you. Oh, support you, Kiralee, and all your parts. (laughs) Support your parts too. Catch you next week. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. The Woo Reverse is recorded and edited by our incredible super producer, Dan Zivkovic. We love him. And if this conversation has brought up anything for you or if there's any extra work you've realised you want to do around this topic, then please know that you do not have to traverse the Woo Reverse alone. We encourage you to build a support team around you and to do what you need to do to take really good care of yourself because you're amazing. So be good to you.